First Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. First Corinthians chapter 16. We come now finally to the final chapter in our study of First Corinthians. Let's start reading in verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door is opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus. Amen. Father God, we're so thankful for the word of God. And we're thankful, Father, as we come now to the last chapter in this book. This wonderful book of 1 Corinthians. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts yet again today. Lord, we've learned so many things. So much practical teaching from this book that helps us as a church and helps us as individuals. I pray today, Lord, that more of that would occur. Guide us and direct us. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. Help me today, Lord, to uh, say only those things you once said. I pray, Father, that uh, we, would, we would hear the things that you want heard. Uh, and so, Lord, I guess I pray that you would fill us all with your spirit to hear as well. Just speak to us today, Lord. Teach us. Help us. This is a topic, Lord, that uh, some people bristle at. And I pray that wouldn't be the case. And I pray you'd help us today, Lord, to be what we ought to be. For your sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some might say, as I enter upon this topic this morning, that we're entering upon this topic because of the fact that we're in middle of phase two and we're talking about raising funds for a bill. They would be wrong. Some might say that uh, I'm entering upon this topic today because we have a problem with giving in our church and I'm trying to you know, get more people to give because of that, and they would be wrong, because our giving is good in this church. 
The astonishing fact is, and it never ceases to amaze me, that when you go verse by verse, section by section, through a passage of Scripture, God just drops you right into a section that is timely and applicable to things that are going on in the middle of your church or your life. And so today we come to this passage, which is on giving, money, stewardship over those things which God has entrusted us with. And it is a topic topic that is... Sadly bothersome to some folks. Some folks believe it is off limits. Some folks believe that there's no business preaching that and you're meddling when you get into that kind of a thing. And yet the fact is, here it is. Now concerning the collection for the saints. You know, if we're going to avoid that topic in Scripture, we're going to have to avoid an awful lot of the Bible, are we not? Did you know, for example, that uh, one-sixth of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one-sixth, and 12 of Jesus' 38 parables all have to do with money. And so, if the thought is that we ought not to preach on money, then we're kind of going to have to throw an awful lot of our Bible away. Now, we can't ignore it. It's an important topic in Scripture. It's an important topic in our life. And apparently the Corinthians thought so too, because this is another one of those questions that they had asked. When we see that now concerning the collection for the saints, we've seen that pattern all throughout, have we not? Through 1 Corinthians, they had apparently asked him questions and he was responding to them. And this is yet another one of those. And uh, actually the very last question that he answered for them in this letter. And we're just going to look at the first four verses because the first four verses are what talk about giving. And I want to just kind of dissect those this morning because they give us some wonderful, practical New Testament advice about this whole matter of money and giving in the life of a Christian. I kind of like the way one preacher addressed this topic as he prepared to preach it. So I want to, I want to quote from him. I want to share what he had to say right before we get into this. He said this. He said, when you go to a doctor for your annual checkup, he or she will often begin to poke and prod and press various places, all the while asking, does this hurt? How about this? And if you cry out in pain, one of two things has happened. Either the doctor has pushed too hard without the right sensitivity. Or more likely, there's something wrong. And the doctor will say, we'd better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt there. So it is when pastors preach on financial responsibility and certain members cry out in discomfort, criticizing the message and the messenger. Either the pastor has pushed too hard, or perhaps there's something wrong. And in that case, we need the great physician. Because it's not supposed to hurt there. Well, this morning... I'm going to do my best to not push too hard. I'm going to do my very best to be sensitive on those things. But I hope that all of us would also not ignore this if it is a pain point in our lives that we need to think about and address. Well, let's notice what Paul had to say here about giving. I think there's some important stuff here. And the first thing we need to notice is the collection that he was taking up. This particular collection was for a specific purpose and a specific need. You'll notice in verse number one, he referred to it as the collection for the saints. And it's referred to elsewhere in the Bible as well, this same collection that was going on. We see it referred to in Romans chapter 15, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and there's other references to it as well. It was a specific collection for the needy saints in Jerusalem or in Judea. And I can think of several reasons why the people in Jerusalem might have been needy at this time. Now, there's some in Scripture, and there's some that I think we can kind of just maybe think through on our own and, 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 and maybe uh, logically deduce why they might have some problems. Uh, one of them was we know that there was a famine that took place in that area. That was clear back in Acts chapter 11, so it would have been 
earlier than this, but it's possible that they were still struggling and suffering from that. There had been a specific action to try to send help and assistance even clear back there in Acts chapter 11. Uh, we read in verse, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So that particular offering would have been earlier, but perhaps that same need was there. Perhaps they were still struggling and going through difficulty because of that famine that had occurred. We also know that there had been tremendous persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And actually, tremendous persecution at the hands of Saul himself. So maybe he felt some personal responsibility to try to heal that wound. I don't know. But we know in Acts chapter 8, in verse number 1, that uh, uh, at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And certainly there had to be a financial aspect to that. And as a result, no doubt, there was still some need amongst that church. But then also another thing that that occurs to me is that, you know, in the early days of the church at Jerusalem, these people were incredibly generous. I don't know if you remember what it says in Acts chapter 4. I'll share it with you. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And so in the very first days of the church, they had sold their homes. They had, they had uh, pooled all of their possessions to help folks. And, and it doesn't take much imagination, I don't think, to realize that now maybe, maybe they found themselves in need as well. And so there's all kinds of reasons why there might have been a need for a collection, but there was. And this specific collection that he's talking about here in Acts chapter 16 was to meet that specific need. But I also think that the principles that he gives us here are applicable to just the matter of giving in general. So as long as we understand this collection was for a specific need, uh, I believe we can also then apply these truths to the matter of giving in general. So let's do that. And let's notice five different things that Paul says here about giving. Five things. He says, number one, giving should be through the local church. Number two, giving should be systematic and regular. Number three, giving should be universal. Number four, it should be proportional. And number five, it should be administered honestly and openly. Let's look at those five things. He's, he crammed a lot in these little verses. Look, first of all, at verse number one. He said, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Verse number two, he says, on the first day of the week. From those two verses and those, those, those two uh, mentions there, I believe what Paul is teaching us here is that giving should be done through the local church. Paul did not encourage here that individual members send gifts directly to the needy in Jerusalem. You don't see him doing that. He tells them to gather it together uh, on the Lord's Day when they gathered as a church. And not only here, but other places in the Bible were taught that giving should go through the local church. Another example from Paul would be in Philippians chapter 4, 
When he said, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you also. For even in Thessalonica, you, the church, sent aid once and again for my necessities. There are exceptions. One exception would be this, the, uh, somebody like Onesiphorus in 2 Timothy chapter 1, when he, Paul said that he was so thankful for Onesiphorus because he personally took care of Paul's needs. There are exceptions, and I don't think that what we're seeing here is that a person cannot give any other way. I think what we're seeing is the general teaching of the New Testament is that giving should be coming through the local church. Here, it was to be gathered by the church when the church met and then sent out by representatives of the church. We had a mission organization that came through here uh, several years ago now. And uh, I think they came through on a Wednesday night, if I remember correctly. So most of you wouldn't probably have even met these, these representatives. But they had a particular model of funding funding that, that bothered me. They had the same model of funding that you see on television with, the, with this organization. And I can't remember what it, what it is that where you can sponsor a child, a needy child. And they had the same thing. You could sponsor a missionary. And they came through with all these packets of individual missionaries. And they wanted each individual person to take one and just individually sponsor. You might not think there's anything wrong with that, but it bothered me because it was not coming through the local church. It was bypassing the local church and going directly to the individual. And so we didn't support that missions organization. I don't want to go too far astray with this this morning, but it's interesting, is it not, how this stresses the importance of the local church. Church. This Wednesday night, we're going to be talking about ecclesiology in the Leadership Training Institute, and we'll be talking more about this because that's the doctrine of the church. But, you know, the, the, the local church is central to the New Testament plan. Many today are involved in parachurch organizations, and, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want to crack on parachurch organizations. They can and they often do do good things for the cause of Christ, but when they exist outside of the auspices of a local church, have no reference to a local church, uh, try to replace the local church, I don't think they're biblical. I think they're out of line with Scripture. It's in the local church that our corporate worship takes place. It's in the local church that our fellowship one with another takes place. It's, it's in the local church that the ordinances of the church, just as we practice communion this morning, are practiced. And I think as taught in our text, the local church is where we give and where distribution of gifts occur. There are exceptions. And it's not to say it's wrong for you to support something individually. Beth and I support some ministries individually as well. But the general New Testament practice and the primary practice in every believer's life should be to give to the local church. So that's the first thing, through the church. The second thing Paul teaches is it should be systematic and regular. Systematic and regular. Verse number two, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Now that's an interesting verse and there's several different thoughts that jump out at me from that. One is, is, is the fact that it was the first day of the week, and that, that reinforces the previous point, because the first day of the week is when the local church met, and so I think that's also talking about the fact that it's through the local church. Uh, I, I think also the fact that the first day of the week is mentioned, and, and is, is said as, as to be when we give, might be an indication of the fact that our giving is supposed to be first, off the top, first fruits. I was trying to think of a verse, and perhaps, perhaps somebody can remember where it is. It's Proverbs 3, I don't know, maybe 10 or something. It says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thy increase. That's the way we're supposed to give. And so maybe, maybe we might get that out of that, the first day of the week. It's the first check that we ought to write that is the check to our Lord. That ought to be the, the order, not what's left over, what's 
first. That's what the Bible teaches. And I think it also reminds us here that giving is an act of worship, just as our singing. And we have wonderful singing this morning. Praise the Lord for it. It's an act of worship, just as playing on the piano is an act of worship or or, or celebrating the ordinances or, or, or giving or any of those things. Uh, preaching is an act of worship. So too, I think it's saying here that because it's done through the church and on the first day of the week when we gather that it's an act of worship. But primarily, the meaning of that phrase, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Primarily, it's saying our giving should be systematic and regular. It should be something that becomes a habit with us. It should be something that we do in a systematic and regular way. One man said, Warren Wiersbe, in one of his commentaries, said, If today's church members were as systematic in their giving as they are in handling their other financial matters, the work of the Lord would not suffer as it sometimes does. So through the church, systematic and regular, number three. He says, your giving should be universal. Universal. Verse number two, did you notice that little phrase? Let each one of you lay something aside. Each one of you. Each one. Each. Nobody was excluded. It's interesting, isn't it? The obligation to give was on everybody. The obligation to give was on the rich. The obligation to give was on the poor. Quoting Warren Wiersbe again, he said, Anyone who had an income was privileged to share and to help those in need. And he wanted all to share in the blessing. And I liked that quote. And I included it here because I thought it was wonderful how it pointed out the fact that it's not an obligation that's being talked about here. Like it's some kind of hardship. It's an opportunity. And it's a blessing. And as a result, it's something that each one of us can and ought to partake in. Many say they can't afford to give. But I ask you, how can that possibly be the case? How can it possibly be the case if this verse is in our Bibles? I struggle with that. Because if that is true, if there are those who can't give, how could we have this imperative in the inspired word of God that says, let each one of you lay something aside? Is that verse the inspired word of God? Certainly it is. 2 Timothy 3.16, we quote it all the time. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so here it is, it's, it's inspired of God. It cannot be true. It cannot be true. The problem that many of us have is that we have encumbered ourselves with so many things and so much debt and so many problems financially that we have made it so that we cannot give. But the correct response is not to ignore God's teaching about giving. The correct response is to get that sinful activity cleaned up so that you can worship the Lord with giving and enjoy the blessings of it. So it's universal, Paul said. It's universal. And if you really want to understand what God thinks about the universality of giving and our responsibility to it, we need to see how it's described other places in the Bible. Did you know, for example, God describes not giving as robbing God? Most of you probably knew that. Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. To not give, God says, in very strong language, is to rob him. Interesting. I read an interesting uh, news article, or at least a reference to it. It was some years ago. There was a, a, a couple that was living in a house in uh, Lexington. And uh, a TV show came to their door one day. The producers of the TV show came to the door, and they knocked on the door, and they said, Hey, we're going to be filming out front of your house. Is that okay? And, it might be a little bit violent, and there's going to be car crashes and things like that. Is that okay? And they said, well, I suppose it's okay. And they said, no, no, you need to understand that car crashes might end up in your yard. We might be right here 
in your yard, but we like this house and we want to film against this backdrop. And they said, okay, fine. So the filming began. Things were blowing up in the front yard. All kinds of things were happening. And if the newspaper article is correct, the owner of the house called from New York. Someone had alerted him to the fact his house was being destroyed. And he called from New York and he said, hey, what's going on? See, these folks didn't own the house. These folks were just tenants in the house and had absolutely no right to do that. And it's a good reminder to us, is it not? Sometimes we live our lives under this mistaken impression that they're ours, that they belong to us. And Paul tells us that we were bought with a price. We don't own. We but manage. And God's going to call us into account some way for the way we have used things entrusted to us. And so he says, you're robbing me when you don't give. So important to remember always that what we have is God's. We're entrusted with his wealth as stewards or managers of it. And we have a responsibility to use it as he chooses for us to use it. And one of the things that he chooses for us to do is to give a portion of it back to him. It's a universal responsibility. Regardless of our situation, it's something he wants us to do. So, universal. Number four, Paul says here that our giving should be Proportional. Notice again verse number two. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Notice that phrase, as he may prosper. Our giving is to be based on what we have and on how God has blessed us. Paul said this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 12. He said, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what He does not have. In other words, God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have, but he does expect you to give according to what you do have. Other places we see the same thing. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. 2 Corinthians 8.13 He said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Notice both of those verses talk about proportional giving, giving according to how God has blessed you. If you have much, give much. If you have little, give what you can. That's the principle of proportional giving. That's the principle that Jesus taught in his parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. One person had one, one had five, one had ten. And they were expected to produce proportionally to that which God had blessed them with. You know, it's interesting, sometimes the ones who have the most are the ones who are most hesitant to give, who struggle the most with the matter of giving. Uh, uh, W.A. Criswell was a pastor years ago in Dallas, Texas, I think. He's with the Lord now. He told a story about this. Uh, He said there was a young man who came to him one time, and uh, he had just recently been saved, and he wanted to get involved in tithing. He was making $400 a week. No, he was making $40 a week. And so his tithe was $4 a week. And so he said, I, I, want, I want to commit to that, Pastor. I want to make a promise before God. And uh, I just want to let you know about it. I'm going to tithe. He said, well, amen. So they knelt down and they prayed. And, and W. Criswell prayed with him and said, Lord, bless his business. Help it to grow and help him to do better. Well, and God answered that prayer. And pretty soon his tithe was $500 a week. And so he went back to the pastor. And he says, you know, Pastor, is there any way? Any way at all I could get out of that, uh, that agreement. Because $500 a week, that's just a lot of money. And Pastor Criswell said, well, no, I don't think we can do that. But we could pray that God puts your salary back to $40 a week. And then your tithe would only be four bucks. be no problem. But it's 
illustrative, is it not, of how it gets harder sometimes in our mind. And sometimes the ones who have the most are the ones who struggle the most with it. If you're holding a King James Bible this morning, you might notice that the phrase there is translated as God hath prospered you. As God hath prospered you. Probably it's more accurate to translate it as he has been prospered. That seems to be more accurate. But the King James rendering is interesting to me. And it's a good reminder that God is the source of all these things. God is the one from whom all our prosperity comes. Proverbs says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. He has no sorrow with it. Remembering that it's God's. Remembering that we are but managers of that which he has entrusted to us. Remembering that we give him but his own. Will help us develop a heart of giving. And a discipline of giving proportionally. Matthew Henry said our prosperity and success are from God. And not from ourselves. And he is to be owned in all. And honored with all. Now of course whenever we talk about proportional giving and and, and, and that we start thinking about an amount. And the question comes up and. Some might ask, what is the right amount? How much should we give? And I would suggest that the, the, the standard in the Old Testament, the standard really, I think even in the New, is the tithe. Tithing was the Old Testament standard. The word tithe means tenth. There's no reason to believe that it would be the different standard in the New Testament. There's nothing that negates that. Tithing was practiced by godly people long before the law. And so those who would suggest that tithing is just a requirement of the law are in error. It was long before the law ever took place. Jesus commanded tithing in the New Testament. And so uh, I don't think it's a legal requirement, but it is a good starting place. It's a good starting place. But the fact is, whether you choose to tithe, and I do think that's a good place to start, or you choose to give a lesser or a greater amount, the one thing we cannot do as believers, we cannot do if we're going to be obedient to scriptures, is to give nothing. That's the one thing that you can't do. So what you can give, as a believer you should give. That's proportional giving. One last thing, and that's number five. Paul says here that our giving should be administered honestly and openly, and that's verses three through four. Administered honestly and openly. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul's teaching here doesn't just center on those of us who give. It also centers on the local church itself. He has instructions here about the responsibility that the church has to wisely and openly and honestly administer those funds. He was very careful here to ensure nobody would question his integrity on this, uh, how the money was handled or what it was used for. Other places he was the same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 20, he said, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. Paul's practice and every church's practice should be scrupulously above board. Here at Friendship Bible Church, we take that matter very seriously. We have some some processes and procedures in place which hopefully uh, ensure that. We have, uh, we have processes to make sure the money is handled properly, counted properly, deposited properly, dispersed properly. We have multiple, multiple people who are involved in the counting and the signing and the bookkeeping. And we have a biannual audit by an external auditor to ensure that everything is being done properly as it should be. Because just as individual Christians have a responsibility here, so too does this church. So too does every local church. And may we never bring shame on the Lord Jesus Christ because of the way we handle the money in this place. Well, so there we have it. Fun stuff, huh? 
Paul has given us there five different truths about giving. He has said it should be through the local church, it should be systematic and regular, it should be universal, proportional, and administered honestly and openly. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, how are we doing on that? How are we doing on that? How are you doing on that? Are you giving? Are you giving at all? Are you primarily giving through your local church? Is your giving systematic and regular? Are you giving according to that which God has blessed you with or according to what you have? Is your giving proportional? How are you doing on the matter of giving? I thought this morning I'd close with a word of personal testimony in this matter. Some of you have heard this story before. Anybody who's been in the FBC 101 class I know has heard this story. Beth and I decided a long time ago in our married life that we were going to tithe. And we have, for the most part, tithed for how long we've been married now, 150 years, however long it's been. We've been tithing. And I think both of us would say without equivocation that that has been a good experience, that God has blessed us as a result of that. I, I, I think about our situation and I realize that we have decent jobs and and uh, I realize that we work hard and things like that. And some might say, well, that's where the blessing comes. But you know what? I think that is part of the blessing. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I think God has blessed faithfulness to uh, our being obedient to that matter of tithing. But you know, we have been on the other side of that story. And uh, there has been at least one time when we decided to go a different way. There was a time when we lived, maybe, was this in Michigan? I think it was in Michigan. When uh, I, I will take the blame for this, I decided that I wanted a car. We were poor as church mice back then. We had absolutely nothing. And when I say I wanted a car, you probably think I was looking for some big, expensive, fancy car. I had my eyes set on a Volkswagen van. It cost $400, and I didn't have the money. But oh, how we wanted that van. So Beth and I talked about it, and we said, you know what? If we just don't tithe for a couple of weeks, we'd be able to afford that pain. And so that's what we did. We decided that we were going to rob God, and we were going to take God's money and go buy that Volkswagen van. Now, that's not the terminology we use to each other, of course. We had all kinds of justification for this in our minds, but that is what we decided to do. We decided that we were going to take God's money and go buy that van. You know, I learned some very serious lessons about robbing God from that van. That vehicle was yellow in color, lemon yellow in color, and it lived up to that color. Everything that could go wrong with a car went wrong with that vehicle. Things that you would never imagine could go wrong with a car would go wrong with that vehicle. The engine in that car would vibrate itself loose and almost come out of the car. I've never, I can't imagine how that's even possible, but it happened multiple times. One time I was driving in Pontiac, Michigan. Who wants to tell me you used to live? You guys used to live in Pontiac, Michigan, right? One time I was driving in Pontiac, Michigan. I was in the middle of town on a multi-lane highway, the crowded part of town, and all of a sudden the car just went bleh. And I got out of the car, and the axle had completely fallen off of the car and was laying in the street. And I stood there looking at that piece of junk. In the middle of the road, there was nothing I could do to, to get it fixed except tow it away. I sat there looking at that thing, and I thought, God is teaching me a lesson. And I learned the lesson. 
To obey God in the matter of giving costs very little. But to disobey Him, that's what costs. And so let us hear the word of the Lord this morning. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. 